0: We've been in our series, No More Stinking Thinking, for quite some time. In fact, tonight's message is part number six. We're we're nearing the end here. Tonight's probably be the second to last message in this series. But it's the one I've been saving, and some of you have probably been thinking, (coughs) "Excuse me, if you're talking about uh, stinking thinking, I can't believe you hadn't hit this scripture yet. Because this is the scripture of all scriptures to do with stinking thinking. But I've been saving it, we've been building, we've been trying to get here, and I just hadn't been able to get here, but tonight we're going to get here. Amen? And you'll know what the scripture is in a minute when I reveal it. Tonight's message is part six, victory over lying spirits. Victory over lying spirits. Now I've been telling my papa stories, and I figure I... I just got to finish it on up. Just keep on telling pop-all stories. I can think of a story for just about anything. Last week, you remember I talked about my pop-all, we went fishing in his newfangled uh bass boat. And uh when I was gone, he welded a trailer hitch on my Dodson B210 so I could pull it next time. You know, and so that didn't really work out. But I told you that there was a few fiascos that may have may not have taken place when we took his new boat to the lake. Tonight I'll tell you about one of those. We got to the lake okay, but there's this thing that boats have called a plug. (laughs) And if you forget to put it in, it leaves a big hole in the boat, and when we backed the boat down the ramp, and we let it off the trailer, and it started to sink, and we couldn't, we pulled it to the bank, and then we realized after it was almost swamped, and we went and got the plug and put it in, then we ended up Starting our trip with 45 minutes of bailing water out of it. But you know how kids are. we we got that done. We got out there and got that new 35 horsepower. That was a big motor back in the day. You know, we thought we was uptown. Brand new fiberglass bass. boat. we got out there and all those poor fishermen were out there trying to get some peace and quiet on the lake. And we was throwing our wake on everybody. Had a steering wheel, you know. We was all over the lake all morning long. And when we finally got tired of everybody cussing us out, I told my brother, let's go get some peace and quiet. These people are just yelling at us. I said, let's go down to the river. If we go, you know, there was a place where you can meet the where this lake emptied into the river. And so we headed to the river, me and my little brother. And uh, right at the mouth of where we went, went out into the river, we sat there and we looked at this huge river and and barges going by and stuff, and we got our fishing poles out, and there was this just rock uh, bank, you know, with these big, huge boulders along the side of the inlet there, and we started fishing for bass, you know. And, well, actually, I got my pole out. I never got it in the water. Heath started fishing for bass. I was trying to figure out that newfangled trolling motor, you know. How does this thing work? And, and, and about that time, I looked up, and Heath's eyes looked like two grapefruits on stems. They just was big. And I I knew something was wrong. I said, what is it? What is it? And all he could do was point. He couldn't get it out of his mouth. And he was pointing behind me, and I looked. And one of those barges had created these huge four- and five-foot swells that was coming at us. And, And I thought to myself, Self, we got to get out of here. So I jumped down and got behind the wheel and I started turning the key and there wasn't nothing happening and I was freaking out and the, and the waves was getting closer and I looked down and I had been turning the choke instead of the key. I guess you could say I choked. I don't know. <laughs> But by the time I turned the key, I'd already choked it out, and it would not crank. And then about that time, those waves hit us and carried us all the way into that rock bank in this brand-new boat. Boom! Against the rocks. And here comes the next one. And we start trying to stick our feet out of the boat and everything and hold it off the rocks. But it didn't work so well. And when the last of those waves finally hit, I was almost in tears. I was almost wishing we would have went under so I wouldn't have to bring that boat back to my papa and show him. I didn't feel like fishing anymore. And so we finally got the boat cranked and got it put on the trailer. Sure enough, we scuffed up that bottom, something terrible. But luckily, it was only the bottom, and my papa, he's had a bad back, he didn't bend over much, so I don't know if he ever knew about it, so we got away with it. Sometimes you get away with it, but most times you don't. And all of us, if we ain't aware of our surroundings and paying attention. If we ain't ready for things that happen, and you know things will happen, waves are coming. There's always a set of waves out there. And if you ain't ready, you'll choke. You won't know what to do when the waves hit. And what we're talking about tonight is in regards to spiritual warfare. We have an enemy who likes mixing up the water who likes churning up waves in our life. And the sad thing is even good God-fearing Christians are unaware that we are at spiritual warfare. I mean, you can talk to a lot of Christians, they have no idea about the things we're talking going to talk about here tonight. And if you if you don't know about it, you just look straight ahead and act like you knew this all along. <clears throat> but let's turn to that humongous scripture that I've been referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I have done so good not to step on this scripture so far in the first five parts of this series. Because it would have been so easy to explain everything we talked about with this scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, And we'll stay in verses 4 and 5, and if I reference uh, our scripture tonight, that's what I'll be talking about. We'll stay here most of the night. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version. That's where I learned it as a young whippersnapper in the Lord. And, uh, you know, you can get more out of some other translations, but this one is the one that speaks to me the best. It says, For the weapons of our warfare or not carnal, or fleshly, you know, not to do with the, the things that we can see and touch. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. Now I know that sounds like a lot of King James verbiage right there, but as we go through, we're going to go through them line by line, and it's going to help you perceive if you don't already know. But I would say this: there are certain scriptures that Christians are to memorize. For example, everybody in here ought to know 1 John one nine. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you're not using that one, then you're way overdue. (laughs) Okay? That one's one you ought to know. There's other ones. You ought to know how to lead somebody to the Lord, you know. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you ought to uh, memorize that. This is one, if you want to have success in your life, in your Christian walk, in your thought life, which we have, in some detail over the last five weeks, exclaimed how important that is. you need to memorize this scripture and begin to meditate on it. Memorize it so that you can repeat it back to yourself and meditate on it in your spare time and begin to think about it and how this deals with your thought life because your thought life becomes your real life. As we've explained. So let's start in verse four. The weapons of our warfare. Now, right off the bat, like I said, a lot of people have no idea. They had no idea. You mean I'm at war? I feel I live in America. There's no war over here. Oh, there's a war in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. It's a war against good. And the enemy. Is the devil. But the weapons that we fight with are not carnal. They're not something that you can say, "Pastor said I need to go out and get a gun." You know, I'm, we're at war. You know, I wonder if that would work. Angie, do I need to go get? No, never mind. It was worth a try. No. But the weapons we fight with are not carnal. They're not going to be something that you hold in your hand. It's going to be something that you hold in your heart pretty much. But we are at work. At war. Revelations 12 9 says the, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with his angels. See, that's where he is down here. The devil is down here. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He usually don't have a big problem with it. Like, like I said, most people think he's just carrying a pitchfork and has a little red tail and he, he just is funny. But as we described last week, he's not funny and he he's here to kill, steal, and destroy you. Ephesians 6.12 says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's the big thing for us to begin to understand. Our fight is a spiritual fight. Especially when you become a Christian, you cannot begin to see other people as your enemy. We're called to to a higher standard. We're called to love the people and hate the spirits that are controlling those people. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And so we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not supposed to be arguing with everybody and hating on folks and categorizing people like the world. We're categorized by love. That should be what we're known for. We're, we're known for our love for one another and our love for the world. For God so loved the world. So we're, our, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. See, we can't see our enemy And therefore, what good is a gun going to do against an enemy? You can't see. You can't fight against him with natural things. And so when you become a spiritual being, you become one with God and his spirit is in you. You have the victory, but if you don't know you're at war, how can you enforce it? And the devil comes and steals all the promises that God laid out for you Because you don't even know they're yours. And he lies to you and makes you hurt yourself. Lies to you, think less of yourself. Lies to you and makes all these terrible things that you do to your own self. Because you don't understand that you have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Already been done. Already been paid for. Salvation is already in there. But you don't know that you have to work it out. And there and are enemies. Now, he, they can't physically hurt you without God's permission, but they do fine just getting us to hurt ourselves. And, like we've been talking about, the battle is in the mind, it's, it's for what you think. What is the devil? He's the father of lies. So, he comes at us with all these lies. If you go on in Ephesians 6, it describes all the spiritual armor that we have. You know, that we have a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth, the feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the, the enemy, of the devil. Those fiery darts are thoughts and suggestions that he throws at you. Taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always, with all prayer, supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We're looking out for each other. See, we have armor. It, it's spiritual armor. And it's a, to put on that spiritual armor, you've got to understand that it's there. And you've got to believe in it. All the promises of God are yes and amen, but they're activated by faith. And so if, if he says you have a breastplate of righteousness, well, we're looking around for some brass plate or. Something. No. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to believe that. And you have to wear that. You have to put that on. You got to put on that helmet of salvation to protect your mind from all the, the, the thoughts that come to you and say, "You're no good, You're not, do, you're not a Christian, you're not acting right. You've got to put on that helmet of salvation that says, no, wait a minute, I'm saved, I'm washed in the blood. And so you, you put on this spiritual armor by faith. Now that's another good one. Ephesians 6, if you haven't memorized that, about the whole armor of God, put it on every day. I don't every day, but I try to remember and, and a lot of times I've put on the whole armor for myself and I'll pray it over the church as a whole that we put on the whole spiritual armor of God. That we may be able to stand in this evil day because there's a war going on. Natural weapons are useless against spiritual foes. You remember when little David he uh. Went down there to see his brothers when they were supposed to be at war, and they were all cowering down, hiding from Big Goliath. And Goliath was shouting these taunts at the people, calling them names and everything. See, he was in, even though he was big physically, he was also engaging in spiritual warfare. He's trying to get them to see themselves as less than God's people, which they really were. And all God's people were down there hiding behind rocks and scared. Isn't that a picture of the church in America today? When the victory is ours and we're cowering down scared of the devil. <laughs> but anyway, little David says, I'll go. Now in the natural, little David's a teenager. This guy, Goliath's nine and a half foot tall. He's huge. He would crush David in the natural. But see, even at a young age, David understands that he's not coming to fight in the flesh. That he wins by trusting in the Lord his God. Because the Lord gave him the victory over the bear. The Lord gave him the victory over the lion. He's been training to to build up his faith to trust in God and not in his own natural strength. Because he understands that the battle is the Lord's. And so, while this big Goliath is yelling out taunts, what am I, a dog that you sent a little boy? You know, trying to make him feel inferior. And see, that's what the devil does. He shouts out taunts at you all the time. You're not ready for this. You can't do that job. You're not ready. You'll fail if you step out. You're too little. You're too dumb. You're too old. It's all the time lying. Well, anyway. David convinces King Saul that, that he's the right man for the job, but Saul's like, you're just a little boy. But he's like, he told him about the lion and the bear. And Saul's probably thinking, well, at least somebody will go. Nobody else will. I ain't going. Here, put, use my armor. I ain't going to use it. And he tries to push his armor on him. And David puts on this grown man's armor, and he's like, I imagine he was excited at first, but then he's like, this don't feel right. This will just slow me down. This, this ain't mine. See, you you got your own calling. You can't wear somebody else's armor. You got to put it on. You got to put your armor on. You got to trust in God for yourself. At some point. And so he takes it off and he goes gets five smooth rocks. Because that's what he's used to fighting with. Now, some people claim, you know, those five smooth stones, what were they? Were they indicative of the five, you know, uh, the apostles, the teachers, evangelists, fivefold ministry—is that what it's all about? I don't know. It don't say, and I ain't got time to to speculate tonight. But all I know is he grabbed what he'd been using all along. But he came and he answered the big guy's taunts. In First Samuel seventeen, it says David replied to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword." a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. You come to me with a machine gun, a grenade, whatever you want to, buddy. But I'm coming to you with something more powerful than all of that. The name of Jesus. Now, he didn't have the name of Jesus, but he came in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, and that is Jesus, my friend. the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. See, it's important that you give the glory where the glory is due. If you're going to be trying to steal God's glory, God's going to say, well, you have it then, buddy, because he'll share his glory with no man. If you want to operate in the power of God, you've got to give God the glory. Today, the Lord will conquer you, but I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. If God be for you, who can be against you? David had such a strong relationship with his God that he feared no man. The fear of man is an entrapment, it's a snare. We have the truth if we dare to believe it. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Man, if that isn't putting 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 into action, I don't know what is. He had every opportunity to listen to the enemy and be downtrodden and, and be scared with everybody else. Or he had the opportunity to put, put on some natural armor and try to fight a spiritual battle. He had every opportunity to blow this, but he didn't. He simply humbly came in the name of the Lord in which he trusted with all his heart. And he spoke the truth. And you know what happened. Spiritual warfare is very, very real. It's going on, and it's either won or it's lost in our mind, in our thinker. It's a battle for what you think is exactly what it is. And the results of your thought life then determine the course of your natural realities. You remember the progression we talked about? I don't have it with me this week, but we talked about a thought becomes an action, the action becomes this and this, it becomes a habit, and then it works this all all the way up until it becomes your character. And it all started with a thought. See, the battle is over what you believe. What, and what, well, it starts with what you fellowship with, the thought that you agree with. And that becomes what you believe. And what you believe is going to determine the outcome of your life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I've been saying this, and if you'll you'll think back, you'll probably agree with me. You are today a result of the thinking that you had in the past. If you're limited and you never reached the potential you thought you were, you wanted to get to but you just didn't see yourself being able to do it, that's where you are. Some of you are overachievers and think that you can do anything. And that's probably where you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You don't think your thought life is important? It's going to determine the course of your life. And if you don't understand waves from the enemy are coming, then you don't understand why the bottom of your boat is all scratched up. You don't understand why you've been sunk for so many years. Why, you, why nothing seems to work out for you. All right, back to our text, 2 Corinthians ten four. the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You need to know what strongholds are. I went to the Strong's Concordance, ironically, to find out what a stronghold is. It says it's a castle or a fortress or anything on which a person relies. It says arguments and reasoning by which a person endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. So the arguments and reasoning go on in your mind. And so it's how you fortify what you believe. It becomes a stronghold in your life. Somebody says, you can do it, and you say, no, I can't. No, I can't, because I've already reasoned this out, and I done looked at the the diagram, and I can't do it. You know, I I know. I'm I'm ready to argue with you about this, because there's a stronghold in my life that tells me I can't do this. Strongholds can be good or bad. A stronghold can be a protective castle for your life. But if you've got wrong thinking, you have some negative strongholds that keep you bottled up, so to speak, so that you can't be free, so that you can't be free to be who God wants you to be, so that you can't ever reach your potential. Are there strongholds in your mind, arguments of why you can't or why you can do what God called you to do? I don't know, it just came to me, but uh, Brother Joe, where'd he go? Brother Joe said something about the, the, on the announcements about going door to door this Saturday. Sound like a prison lockup in here when I mention that. <clears throat> Gates shutting. <laughs> Strongholds coming up. <laughs> I'm not going door to door. I can't do it. There's somebody more qualified than me. I don't know any scriptures. I've never seen more strongholds in my life than when you ask somebody to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Why do you suppose that is? What would the devil come after the most to intimidate you and make you think that you can't do if it was sharing the gospel? which is what God called us all to do, the main thing that you are called to do in your life, and you're scared to do it. And you're all mad at me right now for scratching on the door of your stronghold. (laughs) But I can tell you, as one who still feels the fear before I go sometimes, But one who has broken down those strongholds and said, I don't care, I love God more than I love anything that hinders me from being what he wants me to be. And has got out there and done it. I can tell you, everything that you think you can't do is a lie. And every reason that you have for not going, is just the devil robbing you of the joy of being who you're called to be. I'm not sure how many walls that entered over. Most of you was like (laughs) Some of you are saying, Well, at least he's talking to all of us, not just to me. I'm with them. It's funny, but it ain't funny. Are strongholds in your mind arguments? for why you can be who you're called to be or the arguments for why you can't be. And, I, and you answer that question and I'll tell you right now, is it from God or is it from the devil? Have you been listening to God or have you been listening to the devil? Have you agreed with God's word or are you listening to the lies of the enemy? Joshua, let's go to Joshua chapter 6. Old Testament. Old Testament. Joshua chapter 6. We're going to talk about the story of the walls of Jericho. You probably remember that from Sunday school when you was a little kid. My goodness. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Joshua... Well, Moses has just died. Moses brought them out of Egypt, right? They went through the wilderness 40 years. Because why? Because they had so many strongholds, they would not go in and possess what God called them to possess. My goodness. Any of you have teenagers? And you know what they're supposed to be doing with their life? And they would rather just wander around in the wilderness. Anyway, Moses dies on the other side of the Jordan after leaving the responsibility to lead to Joshua. Joshua carries them across the Jordan. And the first place they come to, they're in the promised land. But it doesn't make it any easier. They still have to whoop the enemy in the promised land. They have to take what is theirs. Similar to where we are today. We have the promises, but we got to take the promises. And so they cross the Jordan, and the first place they come to is this big, walled city. It looks like, my goodness, how are we ever going to get in there? I don't know what we're going to do. I can imagine the voices of those people still got the slave mentality from, left over from their parents that had to die out in the wilderness. They, but God is trying to teach them something. He's bringing them to the first city. And it says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Now, I can can assure you that the Israelites weren't thinking that they were afraid of them. They were thinking, we're afraid of you. This is going to be our first real battle. Y'all got the big walls. What are y'all afraid of? But guess what? Your enemy, the devil, is more afraid of you than you are of him. He just ain't letting you know it. If you were to get a hold of what we're talking about here tonight and a hold of all the promises of God and everything that he wants you to be and know that you can be it and believe it and operate in faith, he would would shake and tremble every morning when you roll out of bed. He would not... He would not get near you. These people are afraid of the Israelites. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. So there it is. God's word on the subject. God's promise. Boy, if you have a spoken word, a rhema from God about something, And you still don't believe? It's like when Jesus said, we're going to the other side and the storm hit. They forgot that he said, we're going to the other side. But God didn't. It don't matter how many storms you encounter on the way, you're going. He said, I've given you this land as a possession, and I'm taking you across. And I'm taking you in. So you have the spoken word of God, a promise made to the Israelites. He said, you and your fighting men should march around a town once a day. For six days, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the, ra- the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, like we did in my office last Sunday morning. And then the walls of the town will collapse. That big old wall is coming down. Like it ain't nothing. And the people can charge straight into town. Well, He tells Joshua all this. Joshua goes back and tells the people. And, it, and Joshua adds one stipulation that the Lord didn't say. He said, y'all just keep quiet. <laughs> I can imagine he added that because he's like, Look, if we get around going around that wall and y'all are still murmuring and complaining and talking about how big the wall is and how your bunions is hurting and all this stuff going on, we ain't never going to get anything done. Y'all just keep quiet. If you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. So, where was I at? They walk around the city. And just in seven days now, Seven days they worked up a shout that brought the walls down. Seven days of following the ark, which was God's presence. Seven days of just being quiet and stop speaking negative and keep your eyes on the ark and the priests that are showing the way and be obedient to God. And begin to realize that God always goes before you. And that the battle is the Lord's. And all you got to do is agree with what he says and shout for the victory. And on the seventh day, faith arose. And the ram's horn blew. And they shouted and the walls fell flat. All except Rahab's portion. You know what that was? Can you hear that? Wall collapsing. That's the sound of a stronghold coming down. Stronghold collapsing. we got to train our minds to line up with the Word of God. Form new habits in our thinking. Establishing new thought patterns. We have to understand we are at war. And every thought that comes to you needs to be addressed. You cannot just let your mind go where it wants to because it's not the only one doing the talking. And even your own flesh ain't saying, ain't leading you in the direction God wants to go. So probably a, maj- a good majority of your thoughts need to be dealt with in some manner. Cast down. Strongholds broken. Broken. The things that have already built up in your life, the walls that are around your heart right now that say, I'm not loving again because I've been hurt. I'm not trusting nobody else. Everybody does this. I see all that baggage on Facebook. I stop looking at it. I'd rather do something about it than talk about it. Be about it. There you go. Be about it. (laughs) We must train our minds. We have to deal with our minds. We can't let them go. We didn't know before. Maybe you didn't know before you walked in that door tonight, but I'm telling you, the direction and the course of your life will be determined by what thoughts you fellowship with and to be allowed to become strongholds in your life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations. What is imagination? Well, it's something that ain't really happening, but you're just imagining it is, right? But, you, but I'm talking about the casting down part before we even get there. God cast the devil down out of heaven. And Revelations tells us he's going to cast him down to hell before it's over with. And if we want to be like God, we'll cast down everything that comes from the devil. Jesus, God has shown us the way. There was a, my dad used to live on a lake. He had his own dock and his own boat ramp and he had a boathouse out there and he had a little sitting place. We went fishing one morning, we was coming back and he noticed a couple of his white plastic deck chairs, you know, those little cheap ones that stacked, had blown off of the dock. And it had blown up into some brush over on the side of the lake. And so he drove over there in the boat. And since I was sitting up front, he said, can you reach out there and get those for me? And so I reached into that bush, and I pulled those two chairs and sat them on the front of the boat. We we drove back the boat around and was going to throw them up on there, back on his uh, pier. And when I grabbed the chairs to pick them up to throw them up on the pier, This little snake head popped out from in between the two. Guess what I did? I cast it down. (laughs) With the quickness. And that's what you need to do with every thought that comes from that snake. Cast it down before it bites you. If you hear from the devil, you can be assured that it's a lie. Because that's all he knows how to do. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, he's called the deceiver. He's got a big imagination. And it says casting down imaginations. He's trying to get you to imagine things that aren't so. Worry is a fine example. I've heard people say, it's my job to worry. Poor thing. When Jesus says, cast all your cares on me. Don't be anxious for anything. Who by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? I could, the list goes on and on. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm not sure that one's in the Bible, but I'll take it. (laughs) But worry is a prime example. I would say 99.5% of the stuff we worry about never happens anyway. And if it did happen, your worrying didn't help it, it just compounded the problem. But the devil keeps us all worried all the time. Now, I told you I had a rough day. Because God didn't want me to preach this. And uh, I mean, God didn't want me to preach this. The devil didn't want me to preach this. He's been throwing thoughts at me all day. This message ain't going to be no good. You can't think good today. You're tired. I mean, it's just been one thought after another. People texting me and calling me all day, throwing me out of my... I just needed to throw the phone away today so I could concentrate on my message. Some days you got to do that, but... Last week I said, if you can see it, you can be it, right? God told Abraham, as far as you can see, you can have. If you can see yourself doing it, all things are possible to him that believe. If you can see it, you can be it. But guess what? That works in the negative too. And if you see yourself as low down, no good, never amount to nothing, can't get a job, can't hold a job, can't save any money, can't be a good parent, and you're low, talking yourself all the time right along. You and the devil are just best friends about beating you, beating you up, he's right in there with you. You so right, honey. You ain't no good. Tell me more, you just having pity parties with the devil all the time. That's what you're seeing, that's what you're being. I can guarantee it. Car salesman says, What does a car salesman do? He tries to get you to picture it. Imagine this. I can see you in this red sports mobile right here. What do you call a sports car? I I can see you in this red sports mobile right there. I can see you putting the top down, your hair blowing in the wind. Oh, you ain't got no hair. Well, but I can. Rick, you ain't got no hair, but no. no. But uh, all right. Can't you you just picture Can't you picture you driving down the highway and all the girls wanting to hop in the car with you? And at some point, you're going to have to stop and say, how does this jive with the knowledge of God? He's trying to get me to imagine something. Is this of God? First of all, Mr. Car Dude, I'm married. (laughs) Second of all, I couldn't afford this car with 10 10 paychecks, you know, (laughs) A monthly payment. What does the knowledge of God say? Cast down imaginations that's not of God. You know, they tell you as a kid, imagine things. Well, imagine positive things. Imagine yourself actually doing the will of God. How about that? In verse 5, it says, casting down imaginations in every high thing. What are high things? High things denote something with pride to me. Something to do, they want to exalt themselves. You know, self-exalting thoughts. Exactly why the devil got cast out of heaven, because he wanted to exalt his throne, what, above, higher than God. High things are anything that exalts yourself when you should be exalting God. Make sure everything that you imagine, everything that you see yourself being, is honoring and pleasing to God. Then it goes on to say, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Like I said, you've got to deal with them. You can't let them things run wild in your brain. It's like having a virus on your computer. It gets in there and starts whacking things up. To be obedient to Christ, you must take ownership of your thought life. You must be the judge, the jury, and the executioner of every bad thought, ungodly thought. No one can fight this battle for you. But notice what goes on in the private corridors of your mind. Where you allow yourself to go will eventually manifest into actions in your life. If you think about it long enough. Why do you think they're always trying to find the serial killers and talk to them and find out how they got the way they are? Because they're trying to understand what goes on in the mind of somebody. You know, they talked to Jeffrey Dahmer, and he knew what was up. He told him straight up. It's pornography. He said, I got hooked, and I wanted to see more and wanted to see more. And as, as it became strongholds in my mind, I wanted to act these thoughts out. I began to act them out. It wasn't enough. I began to look at more and more vile stuff. You know, sin will always pull you somewhere deeper than you thought you was wanting to go. It'll cost you somewhere way more than you thought you wanted to pay. And so you, you begin to look at the things like that that cause bad thoughts in your brain. It's messing you up for your marriage. And the intimacy you want to have with your husband or wife, it's messing you up. You might as well be hanging out at the devil's pad if you're watching pornography. You might as well just be, he might as well be sitting right there. I'm sure he is. You think about that if you watch pornography. The devil's sitting right there with you. I guarantee it. Maybe that'll mess you up. Anyway, let me close. Wake up, church. The waves are always coming. The thoughts are coming. The thoughts are going to come. They're not sin. Because a thought crosses your mind is not sin, but it's when you stop and you fellowship with it and you start thinking on it and you start saying, yeah. (laughs) No, that enters in to the thought. And now you've taken a proactive step to keep that in your mind and to think on it, and now you've entered into the realm of sin. If a thought comes, no. No. That gives you the opportunity to cast it down. That's not me. That's not the way I think anymore. I'm taking that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm getting that out and I'm replacing it. Whatsoever things are lovely, pure, of a good report, of any virtue, if there be any praise. I'm thinking on these things. I'm thinking on godly things. You're replacing those thoughts like we talked about it in earlier messages. You're casting them down. You're breaking those strongholds. When, you, when things from your youth come back up on you, they said you was ugly. They, kids, kids say the meanest things. And then, then here we are, 50 and 60, 70 years old, and we're still believing what some stupid kids said back in 1940-something. <laughs> and it's hindered us our entire life. Become a stronghold. You see how deadly faults can be. If you think you can sit idly by and just absorb the waves without them busting your hull on a rock, you're sadly mistaken. You, your undercarriage is going to be all scratched up and you're in for a rude awakening. I talked to Angie about this message. I said, anything you got that you want to share? That's my wife, Angie, if you don't know. She's the prettiest one up here in the front row. Second prettiest. I said, what I know this this message was important to you. You know, when when we first got say we got we started serving the Lord together in this church about twenty something years ago. She said it was one of the most important messages she had heard. She said she, you know, somebody else was teaching him, but on on the lines of this same scripture. She said she just listened with her mouth open the whole time. She's like, I had no idea that I could control what comes into my mind. I thought I was just at the mercy of my thought life. I thought this was my brain doing all the talking. And I, you remember how we talked about people think that the brain controls you? Even scientists, some faulty scientists think that the brain, but no, it's your mind. And you can transform your mind. You can be transformed by the renewing Of your mind. And she had no idea. And when she understood these things and said, I can cast down those thoughts, I can replace those thoughts, I can fight the good fight of faith here, I can begin to change the way I think, she said that she just sat there with her mouth open the whole time because she had been plagued by negative thoughts of herself her whole life. And I don't think that's uncommon. I don't believe there's a woman in here who hadn't been plagued by negative thoughts about yourself because of all the comparison goes on in the world and the way the world makes you think you have to measure up and and compare. Then a lady from the church came and gave Angie a a gift. And Angie opened it, and it was a necklace. And it said balls on it, like the Tennessee balls. And Angie's like, oh, thank you. I don't watch football, but I don't know, Tennessee, but thank you. But the lady said, no, the Lord told me to give you this. And it stands for victory over lying spirits. So if you see Angie wearing that necklace, which she, she does sometimes, it's special to her. And it has reminded her that she can have victory over lying spirits. Amen. I asked Angie, did she have a a quote that she would like me to say tonight? Now she was kind of in a rush, but she said, "Just because you think it, you don't have to think it." <laughs> I love you, Angie. <laughs> But that is profounder than than it thinks, than it sounds. Just because you think it, you don't have to think it. Just because you think it. I don't want to know what you're thinking right now. (laughs) God sets before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and he tells us to choose life. So that tells me that life is chosen. And what does the choosing? Our mind. Where are the options kept? They go through our our thinking process. We choose with our mind. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every other high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring in every thought, not most of them, every thought, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Any questions? <laughs>